Well, right through this term, uh, we are doing this series, which, as you'll see, we've chosen to call Prayer Equals Life. Uh, I just want to explain the basic thinking behind it. Most people would say they pray at least sometimes. It's like pretty much the whole world prays. Admittedly, there may be a small subset of atheists who may never, ever pray. But in my experience, even people who have no belief in God whatsoever, when they hit a tough time, very often they will still cry out to whoever is out there just in case there is actually someone listening. Pretty much everyone prays at some point in their life. If you're a Buddhist or a Hindu, a Muslim or a Christian, if you're not quite sure what on earth you believe, but you know you're in trouble, you tend to pray. And so to stand up here at the front and try and encourage people to pray isn't necessarily particularly helpful because the entire world is already praying. I think the problem is prayer doesn't actually change our lives anywhere near as much as it could or it should. It's like most of the time, I don't think we really expect prayer to make a whole lot of difference. And so prayer often, at best, is this peripheral thing. It doesn't excite us, certainly doesn't define us, definitely doesn't shape what we do, or who we are. In fact, we don't really see prayer as relevant to most aspects of our day-to-day lives, and we certainly don't think of it as crucial to our very existence. I think this is the big dilemma with prayer. We're all desperately trying to have some kind of conversation with God who is out there somewhere, but if we're being honest it's not working. And we really don't understand why. I mean, have you ever read what the Bible says or claims about prayer? Maybe there have been times when, even through this series, as week after week, we've been looking at these pretty phenomenal prayers in the Bible. Maybe there have been times when you've believed what it says in the Bible. You've desperately gone away and tried to live it. It hasn't worked the way it seems to suggest it should. Anyone relate to that? few nods and embarrassed grunts. I think most of us at times in our lives can relate. Really, all I want to do in the time we've got today is take you to five passages in the Bible. I know that is slightly outside the norm and some are looking slightly worried even now. Uh, Just to explain, the first two passages will take the majority of the time looking at. They lay a foundation. Uh, When we're still looking at the second passage and it's getting close to end time, that don't worry, the the final three passages we will just hurtle through very rapidly. But we're going to look at five passages in the Bible. I've got to warn you, have the potential to massively increase your frustration with prayer. But if in faith you'll hang on in there with me, I also believe these passages will bring you to a place of understanding and hopefully experiencing the truth that prayer equals life. So, if you're ready, we're going to start with our first passage, 1 John 5, verses 13 to 15, where John, one of the closest disciples, friends of Jesus, when Jesus was on earth, 
John tells us something pretty profound about prayer. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Don't you wish that was true? (laughs) Wouldn't it be great if just for a moment what John just said was the reality of your life? That whatever you ask God for, he would do it for you. But I have a sneaking suspicion that for most of us in this room, what this verse says and what we live do not match. That what this verse describes and what we experience do not seem to be compatible. But this morning, I don't really want to talk about how to pray. I want to talk to you and share with you how to pray and get answers. And not by saying that God always answers our prayers, sometimes yes, sometimes no, and sometimes later. Which technically is true, but doesn't really satisfy when you're praying and nothing seems to be happening. It's like, I'm not really all that interested in later. Certainly not interested in no. I talk to God because I need him desperately to say yes. I need him and want him to act right now. I want to live in the kind of relationship that John seems to be talking about here when he says that whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Now look, when we're faced with the disappointment of seemingly unanswered prayers, sooner or later we are faced with a choice. We're either going to stop believing this kind of stuff or start believing this and living it. Here's my appeal. This morning, you need to realign your life and never, ever, ever give up on this powerful realization that just because your life might not match up to how the Bible says it could be like, that does not mean that what the Bible is telling you isn't true. So what I want to try and help you do today is close this gap between perhaps our current experience and what I believe we were all created to experience. I mean, just for a moment, Can you try and imagine a life where everything you ask God for, he did it? Wouldn't that be amazing? So how do we get there? How do we begin to live this kind of life? I think the key is in verse 13 here, which on the surface at least doesn't really seem to fit with verses 14 and 15. Verse 14, John says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked 
of him. John clearly is trying to teach us something pretty profound about prayer. Have a listen again to his introduction, verse 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I'm reading that and I'm thinking, what on earth has that got to do with prayer? It's like John has either forgotten the thread of his thinking or he is, for some reason, completely changing the subject. Unless there is something between verse 13 and verse 14 that if we can see it and know it and understand it, we might get to experience something of the glory of verse 15. Let's take a little more look at this verse. Let's dig into it a bit more closely. Verse 13, John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. John's referring to this letter he's written to describe what life looks like in relationship with God. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, when you hear that phrase, eternal life, what do you think of? I think our mind normally goes to thinking of life after death. Agreed? Yeah, I think you're with me there. But John isn't giving us information about the afterlife. He's writing about what life is to be like before death. This life. He's very much talking about, interested in, trying to communicate something about the here and now. Because eternal life isn't merely a place you go after you die. Now, eternal life is a state of being. So he says, I want you to know that you are living, even right now, in this thing, this state of being called eternal life. It's as though he's saying, really, the, the only proof that there is life after death is if you are tasting and experiencing and enjoying this life before death. And if you don't have life before death, you're certainly not going to get life after death. But if you have this life before death, death is merely some kind of hiccup. It's like you're just passing through because you're already alive. You're just passing into a bigger, a greater, a more glorious life. The one has John taught to us about knowing we have eternal life and then immediately talked to us about prayer. I'll tell you why. It's because as we pray we get to experience something of the life that God always intended for us to have. And so, we're never just trapped in the moment. Because God created us to live in this continuous, ongoing state of eternal life. And so our lives are never defined by our circumstances at any given time point in time. Our lives are connected to eternity through our relationship with God. And if you get that, it changes everything in the here and now. We're to live in this ongoing, continuous, perpetual state of aliveness that only comes from the presence of God. And the result of this is tremendous confidence towards God. 
This is the confidence we can have, John tells us, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. You need to know that God didn't just create you to live in this kind of state of eternal life. He also wants you to live your whole life with confidence towards him. Now, I don't know. Maybe you'd say you're not the most confident kind of person. Maybe if you're being honest, you're not confident about a whole lot at all. It's by way of an aside. I think there's something about living in a city that over time can just crush your confidence. I grew up in a village, a small village, population of just over 3,000 people. In a village, you can be the very best at something. I have to try a few things, but eventually you find something that no one else in the village is better at than you. I mean, there's not actually a whole lot of competition. But when you move to the city, suddenly you are surrounded by crowds of people who are just as good or even better. And it can slowly sap the confidence right out of you. It's like we live in a city that is both overconfident and also drowning in insecurity. But I want you to know that no matter who you are, it is possible for you to have confidence, complete confidence, before God. You can be confident today that God is for you. He always intended for you to live in relationship with him. He wants to pour into your life every good and perfect gift from above. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Ever wonder if anyone's listening to you? Something I'm experiencing at this very moment in time. I hadn't read about this time every Sunday. Do you ever wonder if anyone's listening to you? You ever been in a room and felt like nobody even heard your voice? You ever felt like you're completely invisible to the people around you? I want you to know that you are not invisible to God. That God is never deaf to your prayers. He always hears you. And if you have this confidence that he hears you, it's not just that you know he hears you. If we know that he hears us, John says, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. You see, prayer is access, not only to God's resources, but to God himself. You know, so often, I think the problem is we want prayer to be like a way of getting around God to get what God has that we need or really want. But prayer is primarily our way to get to God so that in him we get everything that we need. Prayer is how we step into eternal life and start to live it fully. Prayer isn't a way just to try and get around God. It's how we get God. Because that is life. And so, if all of that is true, personally, I believe it is. 
It's for you to decide. But if that is true, why then do we still have so few prayers answered? You're thinking, can we just skip this introductory stuff, cut all the waffle, and just skip down to that bit? I mean, you'd be okay, wouldn't you? If this verse, it was based on a slightly better percentage. It doesn't go there. If we know that he hears us, John says, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Personally, don't know about whatever I ask, I'd probably settle for 10%. If God just said yes to 10% of our prayers, that would be huge, wouldn't it? And how much would your life be changed? If God just said yes to one prayer a day, what would happen if you knew for sure that God was going to answer just one of your prayers each week? If you could look back over a whole year and say, I know for sure that I talked to the creator of the universe and 52 times he said, done. But if you'll turn with me to our second passage, John 16, 23 to 27, Jesus seems to want us to aim a little higher than that. He says this, in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you, here's our word again, whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you'll receive and your joy will be complete. Now, I've got a sneaky feeling that the disciples heard Jesus saying that, And they were left feeling ever so slightly miffed. It's like, look, we've asked God for a whole lot of stuff. And Jesus is saying, no, you need to understand you haven't actually asked for anything in my name. So you haven't asked in relationship to me. You haven't asked having come to me as the source of life. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you'll receive and your joy will be complete. He goes on. Now, I've been speaking figuratively. A time is coming when I'll no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the father on your behalf. You're thinking, but really, Jesus, I wouldn't mind if you asked on my behalf. I mean, that'd be a whole lot simpler. I wouldn't have to be listening to this talk right now. I wouldn't have to go through the discipline of praying and trying to ask uh, you for stuff. It'd be much easier if I could just get about my daily affairs, my life, knowing that you were praying in heaven for all the things I need, and I didn't even need to consider it at all. Jesus doesn't go there. He says, no, 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 no. It's not going to be like that. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. And another place, if you are biblically sharp, you will know that Jesus actually told the disciples he was praying for them. In fact, in Hebrews, later on in the New Testament, it tells us that Jesus intercedes, he prays for us forever. It's like he's always praying on our behalf. He's always asking on our behalf. But what Jesus is telling us here, what I think he's saying is, you're going to live 
in a state of being, this state of perpetual eternal life, where you're not going to need to ask my, need me to ask my father, because you're going to have the kind of relationship with my father that I have with him. And so you are not going to need anyone to ask on your behalf. That the prayers that Jesus is praying, the intercession that Jesus is offering is his blood, is his work on the cross. It's it's the reminder constantly to his Father that the way is clear, that we can approach him with our requests with confidence. We can go direct to our Heavenly Father. But you notice how we always seem to like to create middlemen. Like at the end of the meeting, invariably people will come up to me and ask whether I would pray for them. Which, don't hear me wrong, on one level is great that the Bible tells us to pray for one another. We're also encouraged, aren't we, to get the elders to pray for us, especially if we're sick and we need healing. So please, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying you should never ask for prayer. Neither am I saying I resent people asking me to pray for them. I just want you all to stop it and leave me alone. That is not my point. If you're drifting off and just heard that bit, let me just reiterate, that is not what I'm saying. However, every now and again, I do get the feeling that some people think that it will be way more effective if I pray on their behalf. Because they assume that I have a closer relationship, a closer connection to God than they do. In our kind of church, we perhaps don't pray through, in fact, we definitely do not pray through saints. And we don't pray through priests or other religious experts. But we still like to create middlemen. Because we convince ourselves that God would never listen to us. And so we need to find a middleman that God loves more, that knows how to have a proper conversation with God, that has the ability to get from God what we need. And so we go to the middleman and ask them to do what we can do ourselves, namely talk to God. Now I understand all of this, but what we need is people praying with us, not instead of us. We need to cut out the middleman because Jesus says, I am not even going to stand in that spot. You're going to have a relationship with my Father where I don't need to ask for you. You can ask yourself with the full confidence that if you ask, you will receive. I don't know about you, but that is the kind of relationship that I want to have with God. I want to have the kind of relationship where we're both talking to one another, and I'm not sure if it's me asking him or him telling me, because effectively we're both saying the same thing. We're that close. And that's what I want for you as well. I want you to live in the here and now, ushering in the eternal into this moment. But in all of this, God has an agenda And it's not one of those hidden agendas. It's not a secret agenda. Jesus tells us what it is. He says, here's how I want you to pray. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you'll receive because you are an absolute mess. 
Ask and you'll receive because you are just falling apart and you will not make it through otherwise. No, it doesn't say that. Uh, You might think I'm twisting scripture. That's probably how I would have written it. That isn't where Jesus goes. He says, ask and you'll receive and get this. Your joy will be complete. See, for a lot of us, prayer is more like a survival mechanism. It's as though we turn to prayer when we're really in trouble. We've tried everything else. We're really desperate. What can I do? I'll pray. And in that moment, we turn to God. And so we cry out to him when everything else is falling apart. We don't realize that God all the time has got something infinitely better in mind. He's saying, I want you to pray. I want you to ask in my name because I want your joy to be full. That's God's agenda for your life. He wants your life to be filled with joy. You know, I think for a lot of us, we've got a completely wrong view of God. We think that all he's interested in is us obeying his commandments. All he wants is for us to do what he wants us to do. Just need to keep blindly obeying so that his will gets done. That's the purpose. That's the agenda. That's the goal. Who cares about joy? Who cares if we're really struggling through life? I'll tell you who cares. God You see, for him, your intentions, your desires, your dreams, and your joy are not mutually exclusive. He knows that if he can get you to his purpose for your life, if he can get you somehow, some way, to your reason for existing, then and only then, you will be filled with abundant, overflowing, amazing joy. But very often... I think our main problem is we have an agenda that comes at the expense of our ultimate joy. And so we pray a whole lot of prayers that are an attempt to solve our crisis or to give us pleasure that actually come at the cost of our future joy. And God will never, ever, ever answer a prayer that comes at the expense of your ultimate joy. Being a dad, I understand that especially when they're little, your kids are always asking for stuff that they think they want, but you know they do not want. And I'm not talking about things that you know they don't actually need. I'm talking about things that you know they do not want. Those of you with older kids, really see it when they start dating. You're going, you think you want to date him Trust me, you really don't. You you think you want to date her? Honestly, you do not want to date her. It's like you just want to date their face. And their beauty that you are attracted to so much right now is more like wallpaper that over time will just wrinkle up and fall off. And 20 years, 30 years, 40 years down the line, where will you be then? And it can be so hard as a parent to go, listen, you do not want this. And all the time, they are saying, yes, I do. And the more you protest, the more they think, wow, this sounds great. My parents don't think I want it. I really want it. Now, here's the thing. 
how many of us are choosing what we think will bring us pleasure, what we think will relieve our crisis at the expense of our future and our joy. I think more often than not, that is why we get so frustrated with God. It's because he uses this rather annoying loophole that says, if you pray in his will. I mean, really? What's the point about talking about answered prayer if you're going to ruin it all by throwing that line in there? If you just said, ask for whatever you wish and you'll get it, I think we can all do that without any problems at all. But the moment you lob that little caveat in his will into the equation, then you ruin everything. Because quite frankly, we don't even know what that is a lot of the time. All we know is we don't seem to be in his will because we're not getting a whole lot of prayers answered at the moment. And so I think this becomes the number one question for people who say they believe in God. How do I actually know God's will for my life? So I'm clearly not in it because look at the state of my life. And all the time, we think it's just a list of things we need to fulfill or information that we need to know. And it can seem so elusive, can't it? So what is his will? How can we live in his will so that we can pray and receive? Now trust me, we will get there. But here's what it's not. We turn to our third passage, Mark 10. We see one of the boldest asks there has ever been. Verse 35, it says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. So they've heard Jesus encouraging them to pray like that. They're taking it literally. They're doing it. I love that. I mean, what what a great way to start a prayer. God, glad you can make it. Good to have you here. Here's a format we're going to follow in this conversation. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. What might that be, God says? Well, we're not going to tell you. We just want the commitment up front. Kind of remember that with my kids. Daddy, say yes. You know, early on, I was naive and stupid enough on one occasion to say yes. And then they'd ask. And I'd be like, sorry, I can't do that. Getting our neighbor's cat and putting it in our microwave might sound like tremendous fun. And part of me wants to do it. But trust me, it will not end well. And they're like, but you promised to say yes. You know, I think we can be the same with God. Say yes. And then we'll tell you what we want. Jesus doesn't fall for it. Verse 36, what do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You do not know what you are asking, Jesus said. It's like a lot of the time, we ask God for things and we think in our heart of hearts is what we want. And God would say to us, God would say to you, you do not know what you're asking. 
See, he does know. He sees the implications. He knows what it will really mean for you, not just now, but in the future. But we just get so angry. We shake our fist at God. We get frustrated and disappointed when he doesn't do it, when he doesn't answer the prayers that we would end up regretting if he answered them. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? He's saying, can you take on the level of suffering? Can you carry the weight of what you're asking for here? Can you take, can you bear the wounds that I'm going to take? Are you willing to make all of the sacrifices that I am going to make? Verse 39, we can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But you're still not going to get what you're not supposed to get. And says to them, effectively, I'm going to give you the consequences of your actions, but not the benefit. Verse 40, he says, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. Hear what Jesus is saying here. Stop asking for someone else's life. Stop asking for someone else's destiny. Stop asking for someone else's talent. Stop asking for someone else's gifting. Stop asking for someone else's role. Stop trying to be someone you are not. Stop trying to live a life you were never born to live. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. When the ten heard about this, They became indignant with James and John, presumably because they were thinking the same thoughts and they wanted to get in there first and James and John got in there first. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, you are asking for the wrong things because you want to be the wrong kind of person. Ever wondered? why God cannot or will not answer your prayers. I think it's because he won't answer your prayers until you pray the prayers that he wants to answer. And you will not pray the prayers that God is going to answer until you become the person who will pray those kinds of prayers. Listen, God wants to answer all your prayers He wants to say yes to every single prayer you pray. He doesn't want you to have a hit and miss prayer life. He wants you to live the kind of life where every time you make a request of him, he's saying yes, 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 it is done. Boom! 
Because when you and I stop trying to tell God who we need to be and what kind of life we need to live and start asking him who he wants us to be and what kind of life he wants us to live, then prayer gets transformed. It absolutely shifts. It goes to a whole new level. James, the brother of Jesus, he puts it like this in our fourth and penultimate passage. He says in James 4, verses 1 to 3, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have... Because you do not ask God. It's like you just try and snatch it and take it for yourself. Verse 3. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get merely on your pleasures. See, when we're immature, we think we're supposed to ask God for everything we want And that God is like this kind of cosmic Santa Claus figure who wants to give us everything we desire. But God would never give you anything that would corrupt you. He will never give you in the now what will steal in some way from your future joy. And so we ask and do not receive because our motives are wrong. And if our motives are wrong, our prayers are wrong. And if our prayers are wrong, we do not activate the goodness and the blessing and the generosity of God in our lives. So, having heard all of that, how do we get our prayers answered? Well, in our fifth and final passage... Psalm 37, verses 3 to 5. David shows us the will of God for our lives. And I think if we can just live in this place, then everything we ask will be given to us. Is that what you want? Really, is that what you want? But if it is, if you're serious about praying in his will, then here is how to access everything that God is and everything he has for you. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Do you hear what he's saying? Let's read verse 4 again. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know, a lot of us think that God hasn't answered our prayers because there is something wrong in our life. And so we can think, I need to fix my life. I need to try and be good enough and work really hard so that God will then start answering my prayers. Ever been there? 
It's like you're in this endless catch-22 situation because you never feel like you're good enough. And that's why you feel he's never going to answer your prayers. It's not that God isn't good. It's all because you feel you are not good. And so you desperately need to try and work out his will for your life so you can tick all the boxes and maybe start being worthy enough to get some of your prayers answered. I think that's how many of us live. Here's the good news. Actually, is way more simple than that. Here's God's will for your life. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. When you begin to enjoy God, you begin to experience the joy of life. See, when you begin to love God, you begin to step into and experience eternal life. And when you make God your delight, your joy, your love, when you give him your whole life, something amazing starts to happen. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Which means... That you can be imperfect, you can be wounded, you can be broken, you can feel like you've really messed up this last week. But if you, in the midst of it all, have given God your heart, then you are slap bang in the middle of his will. Listen, he's not looking for perfection. What he's looking for is for you to experience his love. And to live in and keep walking in, to remain in that love. I don't know about you, but I don't like wasting my time. Believe it or not, I can be incredibly impatient at times. I, I don't like meaningless repetition. I'm not particularly fond of empty actions. If I'm being honest, I wouldn't bother at all with prayer if it was just this therapeutic getting things off my chest. But I am so incredibly grateful that we can live in this life with such intimacy with God. That as we get to know him, we become more like him. And as we get to experience more of him, we get over time to learn to trust him more. And so as we ask more and more, we ask from this place of having our heart shaped and molded by God, that our greatest desires over time become more and more bound up with delighting in him. You see, God has a universe of good he wants to pour into your life. So much good he wants to give to you. But all the time, the riches of heaven, the generosity of God, the grace of God, it only makes it through to us when we let him shape our hearts by his love. That is why God stepped down personally, physically into human history in the person of Jesus Christ and walked among us and lived sinless and perfect and allowed himself to be crucified and buried and raised from the dead so that you could have confidence before him. 
so that you could know with absolute certainty you are forgiven. So you could know that the slate is completely wiped clean. So the barrier that you may even today feel is still there between you and God would be completely destroyed once and for all. So that you, with absolute confidence, could know him. And in knowing him, have life. You need to know, if there is anyone frustrated, disappointed, tormented by empty prayers, it's God. You see, we think we're trying to get God's attention and somehow move him, persuade him, coerce him to a level of compassion where he finally acts on our behalf. But God all the time is moving heaven and earth to get our attention so that he can get us finally to that place where all we have to do is ask and it's given to us so that our joy might be full. So, delight in him. Know his love. Give him your heart and discover what it means to live.